podcast, home to stories that haunt. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Don't you want to feel better? The words were two feet high, in white text on a massive billboard by the road. In the background was a serene landscape. A still pool reflected ornamental trees in their bright autumnal clothes underneath a clear, pale blue sky. Madeline took it in without pausing, considering it as she walked on towards the bus stop. She got there only a few seconds before the bus. As it glided to a stop, sighing its artificially generated warning song, which had replaced the roar of the diesel engines when the fleet went all electric, she saw the advert on the side of it. Don't you deserve inner peace? The words were different, and the scene, but it was the same font, the same color palette, the same company. Madeline entered the bus, tapped her travel pass on the scanner and nodded a silent greeting at the driver. He replied with a slight tilt of the head. Madeline found a seat and got settled. It was 27 minutes to her office. When she'd taken the position, she'd hoped to read or write during her commute, but she had quickly found that looking anywhere but out of the windows made her travel sick. So she stared out of the window and thought instead. Find your way back to whole. The billboard was like the first, and the scene was very similar. The image had been taken in the same place, but from a different position. They were absolutely everywhere, these ads. But the shops were, too. Were they shops? Madeline wondered. They were like nail bars. No. Like tanning salons. Or like those walk-in ultrasound places. Were those shops? Sort of, she decided. They sort of were. Returbance was the one she saw the most. In fact, there was a returbance across the street from the office. She'd never been inside, but she'd always been sort of fascinated by the types of people she saw going in and coming out. Sometimes she ate her lunch on the bench at the front just so she could watch them, see if they came out looking different, lighter. So far, she wasn't sure. The technology had begun long ago when Madeline was a teenager. Back then, it was only offered as part of medical treatment. It had come out of shockwave therapy for releasing scar tissue. The people who had developed it had lauded it as a new dawn in psychosocial therapies, the cure for trauma. And once established, it had quickly taken the place of SSRI therapies and electroshock treatments for the most profoundly unwell. In the beginning, when it was still experimental, it was only made available to a very select few. Those who had suffered trauma so huge and so early before they could speak that they couldn't address it in any other way. After all, how do you work through and resolve events that happened to you when you don't even remember them? 
In the old days, you just had to live with it. With the trauma, with the attachment disorders, the CPTSD, the anxiety and depression. There were drugs, sure, and other therapies you could try, but their success was limited and patchy. For some, there just wasn't anything. No relief. Until neural shockwave treatment became available. They had to go very carefully at first because it was hard to do animal testing. How do you know if the dog you deliberately tormented is traumatized? And how do you know if it's cured? They moved quickly to human subjects when their success was so complete and so phenomenal that within a few years, there were several Nobel Prizes and billions of dollars in further research funding came flooding in. The machine, using some kind of micro sound waves, broke down the neural pathways that were formed by experiencing traumatic events. It actually disrupted them entirely, effectively wiping the emotional slate clean for the owner of the brain, resetting the counters so they could begin again. And it was only offered to those with traumatic events from their pre-verbal and periverbal days. Those for whom other forms of therapy and medications were of limited use. It didn't wipe the memory. It didn't take the events away. It only took the trauma. That wasn't always obvious in the initial cohort of candidates, of course. If you were traumatized at 18 months of age by something you no longer recalled, then you came back from the treatment the same. Only with the trauma now erased. If you did recall something about the events which had traumatized you, then you still recalled it just the same. The memory no longer felt traumatic, though. And the self-beliefs, unwanted behaviors, and psychological dysfunction it had left you with were all gone. Back then, it was a whole thing. The treatment as involved and careful as brain surgery. It was, after all, physically changing the brain. Candidates were brought as inpatients to neurology wards. They were meticulously prepared for the procedure. Their brains extensively mapped with fMRI. Then they went for the procedure, which was done under general anesthetic by a neurosurgical team. Upon waking, they were taken for rehabilitation where new, more useful pathways could be made. Attachment disorders were wiped away. Anxiety melted, depression lifted. Personalities ceased being borderline or disordered. A two to six week inpatient psychological rehabilitation program gifted the candidates their new, functioning, healthy psyche and then they went on their way cured. As the bus slid up to her stop, Madeline stepped off it and turned immediately so that when it glided away, she was facing returbance. The shop was unassuming. It looked like a cross between a private dental office and a spray tan place. Just sleek enough that you'd trust them with your brain, just tacky enough that you'd assume you could afford their treatments. Re-turbance in black was hung and backlit hot pink across the whole shop front above the door, with remapping disturbance beneath it in smaller italic script. 
That had always struck Madeline as slightly crappy, like they'd spent all their money on the machine and asked an unpaid intern to name them and do all their copy and marketing. She couldn't decide if her fascination was morbid or earnest. It was persistent either way. As she watched, a young man in a long coat and expensive-looking shoes came to the door. He looked around pensively as he reached for the handle. Then he pushed the door open and went inside. Madeline wanted to stand there and wait for him to come out again, to see if he re-emerged with a spring in his step or a smile on his face. But she was due to start work in four minutes, so she turned reluctantly away and went into her office building. The move from experimental and then hard-to-access medical procedure to high-street drop-in service was slow and then fast. After initial studies had been completed and stellar results had been published and Nobel Prizes had been awarded, they first began to widen the groups to whom the procedure could be offered. At first, it was offered only to those who were very young when they were severely traumatized. Those for whom, although medication and psychotherapy could help, a cure was not usually within reach, and life would forever be a struggle. This group was treated much as the first. Extensive pre-procedure neural mapping, a procedure done by a full neurology team, a period of inpatient rehab to get their neurology remapped for success and well-being. And then, inevitably... Capitalism saw the potential and stepped in. Suddenly, the very wealthy could have it, even if they were traumatized less severely or as fully grown adults. As cures went, it was faster than therapy and was soon seen as a shortcut to wellness. The super-rich began checking themselves in to have the traumas associated with an unexpected bereavement, a catastrophic birth, a serious accident erased. But that was a small pool, so soon the private clinics began to cast a wider net. The trauma of expected bereavements, of an elderly parent, say, or a naturally shorter-lived pet, began to be erased along with the lingering upsets of serious professional disappointments and particularly bitter divorces. By then, the private companies had made enough money that they could pare down the procedure. New machines were commissioned, which didn't need a fully qualified neurologist to operate them. Rehabilitation remained for the super-rich and for those accessing the procedure through medical routes, but little high-street clinics began to pop up where you could be seen as a day patient. They were still for the very wealthy, like the pop-up non-medical ultrasound clinics of the early knots. It was expensive back then to have a just-because look at your baby. But people saw the opportunity and found the money. And people found the money for this, too. On the high street, you could have the trauma from that ex who beat you taken away, or the PTSD from that time you were mugged at gunpoint the lingering fear since you were in that car wreck, the nightmares about the time you went snorkeling and nearly drowned. It became about as complex as having a cavity taken care of at the dentist's office. By the time the normal folks were having their fear hangovers from violent relationships and near-death experiences dispelled on the high street, 
The super-rich were having difficult conversations and minor aches and pains dissolved. If one had money, one no longer needed to experience lingering discomfort of any kind. And from there, it really became a free-for-all. It took 10 years for the technology to move from exclusive teaching hospitals to private clinics, and only three more for it to be on every high street. Slow, then fast. And just as the dawn of the high street Botox and filler places had led to aging being regarded as optional, the remapping places began to shift psychological maladies from unfortunate to elective. It was beginning to be seen as a moral dereliction to grieve, to fear, to suffer. Even if financial concerns were what held someone in their trauma, poverty itself was seen as a moral failing. At 10, Madeline was at what was still optimistically referred to as the coffee machine, waiting for her cup of brown foamy liquid to be dispensed. Coffee plants had been extinct for nearly a decade, but the synthetic stuff filled the gap. Just. Madeline sometimes dreamed of coffee. Real coffee. But recently, even in her dreams, she could only summon the smell. When her sleep self took a sip, it tasted like the synthetic stuff. Behind her, she could hear the loud nasal tones of Bonita, outraged rant in full flow. And I said, you know, sit. And he just would not. She was whining. And then he tried to hump the teacher's leg. And everyone was staring. He was the only one who couldn't do it. I just can't get it out of my head. It was so, so traumatic. Madeline, still facing the coffee machine, rolled her eyes. This was a side effect, she thought, of the ability to have difficult experiences overwritten during your lunch break people could no longer tolerate any level of discomfort at all. Where trauma used to lie in serious assaults, horrendous losses, it now lay in everyday disappointments, in minor inconveniences, in slight embarrassments. A young puppy not behaving in obedience class had taken on the hue of a psyche-shattering wrong. The machine beeped, indicating her brown fluid was ready. Madeline took it and decided to run downstairs for five minutes on the bench to see if she could catch the man she'd seen that morning on his way back out of returbance. To her surprise, the shop was gone. The sign above the door was down, the windows fogged white on the inside, concealing the work taking place in there. A poster was taped to the inside of the door. Coming soon, MapJoy, the psyche you need for the life you want. All new technology. Excellence. Safety. Joy. So it's just another of the same? Madeline wondered. The door opened now and a small group of men, one she recognized from that morning, began to maneuver a matte white hoop through it. Presumably this was part of the machine. Madeline had never been inside a remapping place, so she didn't know for sure. Though it was fairly small, they carried it as if it were very heavy. She watched as they loaded it into the back of the van, then disappeared back into the shop. 
She wanted to sit there until the new machine arrived to see what, if anything, set it apart as all new. But it would need to wait until lunchtime. She gulped down the last of her pseudo-coffee and headed back inside. The following day was a Saturday, and Madeline's company was one that still honored a monthly weekend. And this one was her turn to be off. She went to the park in the morning and fed peas to the ducks in the ornamental pond, but it just made her sad. In the afternoon, she took a hot carton of noodles and a can of Coke to the crematorium and sat at the small, flat stone among the flowers to eat and have a little cry. That evening, she got very drunk and messaged Cal. I miss her. I miss us, she'd typed. The notification mark at the corner of her message stayed stubbornly gray. He had ceased even reading her messages at this point. She had opened another bottle of wine. Sunday was wasted in a hangover that made Madeline feel as if she was inside out, raw and tender and aching in every way. It was a relief to go back to work on Monday. In a hurry to escape a sudden rain shower, she'd forgotten to look at the shop when she got off the bus. But when she got to her desk, there was a pamphlet on her keyboard. Are past traumas holding you back? It asked in navy cursive, laid over a golden sandy beach scene. Is the pain of yesterday preventing you from embracing the opportunities of today? Previous trauma remapping techniques have focused solely on the neural networks, it went on. But science has known for decades that it is the whole body and not just the brain which holds on to traumatic experiences. In our all-new whole-body remapping, the traumas of yesterday can be erased, not just from the mind, but the gut, the muscles, the skeleton. Visit MapJoy today and find out what your future, freed from your past, will look like. She stood holding it for a second and then released it, letting it flutter into the bin. At ten, it was still raining, so she took her almost coffee to the breakout area. There, Bonita was waving a leaflet around and gushing animatedly about her upcoming appointment. I was so lucky to get there early. She looked at Madeline as she said this, trying to include her in the conversation. Madeline didn't want to be in it and sat at the far end of the soft seating, facing a quarter turn away from the group. So when is it then? Allie asked. Friday. Bonita smiled smugly. It was the last early bird slot, 10% off and a free tune-up in six weeks. Malcolm wandered over then, a donut gripped between his teeth and a drink in each hand. He passed one to Allie, who he seemed to have a bit of a crush on, then took a hold of the donut, biting off the piece already in his mouth. What are we talking about? He mumbled as he chewed. Bonita's going to try the new remapping place across the road, Mapjoy, Allie said. Oh no, what's happened? Malcolm's tone didn't match his words. He sounded bored. Oh, Bonita flapped her hands. The whole dog training thing. I just can't get it out of my head. Madeline snorted involuntarily at this. Bonita narrowed her eyes. Got something to say, Madeline? She asked, her chin raised in a challenge. No, Madeline replied. Got some opinions you'd like to share on remapping? Bonita pressed. No, Madeline replied again. That's funny, 
Bonita turned now, fully facing in Madeline's direction. Because it sure sounded like you had an opinion to share. Madeline received this in silence. You know, Bonita went on, some people have never been remapped. Some people have led charmed lives, have never suffered a trauma, something their mind just can't let go of. They will never know that pain, never know how remapping can change a life. Madeline stared at the brown surface of her drink. The group at the other end of the seating were all looking at her now. Rage had begun to build in her. Unwelcome rage. Perhaps that's your problem, Maddie. Madeline hated being called Maddie. Perhaps it's simply that nothing of note has ever happened in your life. Perhaps that's why you simply can't empathize with people who have genuinely suffered. Bonita gave her head a little triumphant toss. People like me. Madeline didn't want to say it, or plan to say it, or deliberately form the words. She felt like a passenger, like she simply heard a voice speaking and realized too late that it was her own. Four years ago, the voice that was hers said, my two-year-old daughter Emma died. The neighbor's dog jumped into our yard and attacked her, tore her apart. I nearly bled to death trying to save her. My husband blamed me for having her out there, for not saving her. He left me the day after her funeral, but you're right. She looked up at Bonita. I've never been remapped. There was a long silence. Oh, God, Allie whispered. How can that even be true? Bonita blurted, embarrassed and angered by her embarrassment. Madeline slowly pushed her sleeves up one at a time, revealing the raised roadmaps of pink scarring left by the dog's teeth, crisscrossing her forearms in a vivid topography of pain. Bonita let out a strangled sob and dashed away towards the restrooms. Madeline rolled her sleeves down again and took a few steadying gulps of her drink. Madeline spent the rest of the day waiting for HR to haul her into a disciplinary meeting and was surprised when they did not. She had never told anyone at work about Emma. Remapping was so common at this point that it would be seen as very bizarre indeed that she had continued to carry such an incredible trauma around. People had lost the ability to really empathize with grief. Now it was seen as optional. She had qualified for the medical route free remapping back in the early days. She had been offered it, had allowed her primary care team to make her the appointment. But when it came to it, she'd simply not attended. Somehow, letting go of the pain felt like letting go of Emma. And Madeline wasn't ready to. Not back then. Not with the wound of Cal's desertion still so fresh, too. The free remapping referral had been available for 24 months post-event back then, but was only available for six months nowadays. Though Madeline suspected that wasn't to exclude people, but to hurry them along. Grief interferes with work. Grief costs the economy money. 
Putting the time limit on wasn't supposed to exclude anyone, just to get them into the remapping machine faster. The HR meeting came the following day. Madeline felt oddly unafraid when she opened the notification and saw it was a summons from Sarah. Maybe they'd fire her, she thought, and she could find somewhere less soul-crushing to work. Coffee? Sarah asked as Madeline came in. And Madeline knew immediately this wasn't a getting-fired meeting. This was something worse. She sipped the hot liquid and watched Sarah's mouth as she spoke, gently but insistently to Madeline. It's simply not appropriate, was the message. It can't stand. And it goes against company ethos to let such suffering go unchecked. It was a trap, Madeline thought. And she was such a fool she'd walked into it herself. Could she quit, she wondered. But no, she couldn't afford it. If you were fired, you could re-enter the employment market immediately, albeit in a lower-graded job. But if you just quit, without seeking formal transfer, they punished you. You had your employability status frozen for 24 weeks. Long enough to lose your home. Long enough to be really cold. Really hungry. Long enough that even the most awful job with the most horrendous conditions was better kept than quit. And this wasn't that, she reminded herself. Okay, Bonita was a bit of a pill, but the job itself was okay. And most of the rest of the staff were fine. No, she couldn't quit. Madeline left the meeting with a not-really-optional appointment to have the trauma surrounding Emma's death remapped by MapJoy, the bill already footed by the company. We care about our team. When she finally looked at the actual time on the card when riding the bus home, she saw, ironically, that it was on Friday, the same day as Bonita. Bonita went first. The women had met silently, but without animosity, in the pale green waiting room behind Mapjoy's shiny, new, mirrored glass shop front. Bonita had already been there when Madeline arrived. Madeline had just begun to fill out the forms which helped delineate the trauma she was there to remove when they called Bonita's name, and the other woman rose and went through the door at the back of the room. She reemerged only 20 minutes later, smiling, relieved. It's wonderful, she whispered to Madeline as she passed her. It feels wonderful. Madeline opened her mouth to ask for more details, but then her own name was called, and she found herself rising, numbly, and going through the door. Inside the room was a pale green cylindrical booth and a young woman in a white coat. She took Madeline's form and read it. My goodness, she said in a soft, calm voice. How terrible for you. You must be in such pain. Madeline shrugged. This is the booth, the girl indicated with a hand. You just walk in and hold the handles on either side. The halo will come down around your head. Try not to move too much, but don't worry if you do a bit. There's plenty of room in these newer models. 
Then you will revisit the trauma in your mind, which I know might be very upsetting, but it will help the machine narrow down the areas to address quickly. Continue to think about the events and their outcomes as the machine works. It will take about eight minutes for you, I think. Afterwards, I'll help you to the bed. She swept her hand towards the low couch in the corner, and you can have half an hour to relax and recover. The last woman didn't get that. Madeline's tone was more challenging than she'd intended. The girl looked flustered. Oh, uh, I'm not allowed to discuss that, she stammered. I mean, it's against confidentiality, too. I know her, Bonita, Madeline said. I mean, I work with her and saw her in the waiting room before and after, that's all. Oh, yes, well, she did rest. The girl, visibly relaxed, spoke reassuringly. It was just that her procedure was less far-reaching than yours will be. She only required a few moments to recover. Ah, yes, Madeline couldn't help herself. The trauma of her dog embarrassing her. The girl, her face a serene professional mask, didn't respond. She directed Madeline into the booth and demonstrated how she should stand and where she should hold. It was an odd sensation when the machine began to work. Mostly it tingled. Her hands and feet and elbows and stomach and earlobes and lips buzzed softly. But her brain and the scars on her arms sort of itched. At first, the memory of Emma's last day, of the terrible fight to save her from the dog, was immensely distressing. Bile rose in Madeline's throat, her heart pounded, and her lungs hitched and burned. She remembered the terror, the devastation. She remembered the impossible eons-long seconds it took her to reach them when she saw the dog had gotten in and was heading for her baby. And she remembered wrestling the dog, seeing her child's body being ragdolled around, and the big white teeth sink effortlessly into her own flesh, tearing and slicing as if she were made of butter instead of meat. She remembered the mad dash towards the high gate, and the floating feeling that washed over her as she clung to some of her child the part she'd been able to wrestle from the dog and watched her own blood, bright arterial red pulsing rhythmically into the driveway she'd escaped to. They'd put a central line into her in the ambulance. She was still cradling Emma. She heard the dog's ending as the medic slid the tube down towards her heart. The police had put nine bullets in the dog before it would give up her baby's head. The tingling rose in intensity and the itch turned into a burning. Not a pain, not exactly, but a a searing, fiery heat. And as that heat spread through her, she realized that although the images of that terrible day and the days since were still there, the distress was gone. She recalled it all as if it were scenes from a movie, not her actual life. She thought of the back of Cal's head as he left, slamming out the door and taking her past and her future with him and felt nothing. 
Just a calm acceptance that, yes, that happened. Yes, I remember. But no pain. No hurt, no rage. The terrible, yawning void of Emma's absence seemed suddenly to fall in on itself, leaving only nice memories and a calm, factual acceptance of her passing. Madeline felt delirious when the machine had finished. There was a hissing in her ears she could imagine was her brain sizzling. Cooked. She was barely aware of the girl guiding her to the couch to lie down. Once she had reclined, the girl put a pillow under her head, wrapped an electric blanket over her and cranked up the heat and dimmed the lights. Perhaps she fell unconscious or perhaps she napped. Either way, the next thing Madeline knew, she was waking up to the girl holding out a glass of water. Physically, there was little to indicate anything had happened. Only the faintest buzz in her stomach, her arms, her head. A distant tingle of energy still remaining, of the searing heat. Psychologically, Madeline felt... peaceful. It had been so long that she had forgotten what it even felt like. Yet she recognized it right away. She reached back into her memory to look for the last time she'd experienced it, and felt with a sort of wonder how she slid back past the end of her marriage the death of her child as if it were a boring family event that she recalled but had no feelings about. Back before those events, she found her last profoundly peaceful moments. Emma's second birthday. They had had a party in the park. Lots of little kids from the playgroup came. Cal's mom had arranged three white ponies to give rides. Their fake unicorn horns, sparkling silver and bobbing up and down as the little steeds walked back and forth with toddlers on their backs. The cake had been chocolate with vanilla frosting. Two sparkly silver candles to match the unicorn horns. That night, after they'd bathed a sticky vanilla-frosted Emma and tucked her into bed, Madeline and Cal had sat out on the back deck watching the sun go down and sipping beers. He had turned to her and said, Hey, we made a pretty nice kid. Want to see if we can make another one? (laughs) And she had nodded. And they had let the golden hour light bathe them, just being together. Madeline had felt immensely peaceful. She was exactly where she was supposed to be, doing exactly what she was meant to be doing. It was only a few weeks before Emma died. Madeline stretched and sat up, took the water from the girl and sipped it. It tasted delicious. When the girl was satisfied that she was well, Madeline gathered her things and went back across the street to work. The office was in a bit of an uproar when she came off the lift. There were a lot of voices shouting at once. As she began walking towards her desk, she saw dark stains on the carpet and stopped. It looked like... blood? What's happening? She asked the room in general. Nobody responded. They were clustered around someone who was lying on the floor near the coffee machine. As she got closer, she saw it was Tony from upstairs. What's happening? She tried again a bit louder. It's his leg, Ellie answered this time. It's his leg, it's... 
It's hurt. Help me, Tony was shouting. Please help me. Help's coming. Old Andy from Calms knelt beside him, held the younger man's hand. As if he'd summoned them with his assurance, two paramedics appeared then. They quickly cut open Tony's jeans and assessed the wounds. They glanced grimly at one another. Tony, one of them said gently, have you ever had surgery on this leg? Yeah. Tony's voice was strained thin with panic and pain. I tore my ACL in college. They did a patellar autograph repair on it. Why? Is there something wrong with it? It was nearly 20 years ago. Tony, the other began now. Have you had any sort of remapping done recently? Tony looked wildly from one to the other. Well, yes, I have. The whole new body one, first thing this morning. Why? Why? He was almost shouting, but they didn't reply. One of them knelt and began to wrap a dressing over the gaping wounds on Tony's thigh and knee. The other pressed a button on the radio on his chest and tucked his chin in to speak into it. Control, this is 402. We've got another one. Seething 402. Go ahead. A crackly nasal voice replied. Male, 41, reopened ACL repair, the paramedic said. Okay, 402. General and city are full to bursting. Give me a second here, okay? City is full up now, too? The rapping paramedic looked up, scared. Yeah, this is something, all right. Come in, 402. The radio said. 402 receiving. Yeah, take him to St. Giles. They're pretty full, but they're not closed yet. Roger Control, thanks. They strapped Tony onto a gurney and wheeled him out to the elevators. The rest of the staff stood and stared at one another. Well, what the hell was that about? Malcolm broke the silence. Guys, come look at this. Allie was at her machine. Madeline followed the rest to go and look. Allie had a scrolling news channel up on the screen. Mass disruption as remapping complications affect thousands. Red one. Hospitals issue red alert as ERs fill. Another blared. Is collagen remapping miscalculation behind mystery injuries? Another demanded, and Madeline pointed at it. Felt her arms tingling again. Click that, she said, and Allie did. Full body remapping promised to erase trauma from not only the mind but the body itself, Madeline read. But with hundreds experiencing spontaneous injuries, could it be that a misunderstanding of the behavior of collagen has been programmed into these new machines? It seems that while removing the evidence of trauma from the body, these machines go one step further and break down all scar tissue. Thousands of reports of old injuries and even surgical scars. (coughs) Madeline stopped reading, turned towards the cry. It was Bonita, her eyes wide in surprise. Both of her hands were pressed against her lower abdomen. Bonita? What is it? Malcolm began to walk towards her. I felt it! Bonita squeaked, her voice a wavering trill of surprise. I felt it unzip! Just like that! Felt what unzip? Malcolm was with her now, putting his arm around her. Madeline saw then that there was something starting to emerge at the hem of Bonita's skirt. Something purplish and shining. My scar from my C-section! Bonita gasped as if to punctuate the point. The shining purple mass slithered free, flopping onto the carpet between her ballet pumps. 
It was the unfurling coils of Bonita's small intestine. Everyone stared at it aghast, but then Bonita gasped again and released her stomach, prompting further coils of guts to cascade out onto the floor. Now Bonita's hands were round her own throat, blood welling between her fingers. Thyroid surgery, she choked. Then her knees went, and she joined her innards on the floor. It was then that Madeline became aware of the liquid dripping from her hands. She looked down and saw her sleeves soaked red. Brilliant, shimmering red droplets shook free and fell like tropical rain from her fingertips. The tingling in her arms sharpened to a slicing then, and she was strangely satisfied by Bonita's choice of words. It was exactly as if her scars unzipped. She watched as the drops became a stream, became a gushing, pumping torrent. She didn't feel herself fall, but found herself laid out on her side, her cheek against the fuzzy office carpet. She heard Allie half-screaming to the phone at the 911 operator, felt the clamor of other bodies around hers pressing on her arms trying to stem the blood. But no fear plucked at her heart. As the room began to blacken round the edges, she thought about the last time this had happened, remembered again how each of the scars got where it was, remembered Emma's little body and the dog's teeth and the stab of the central line. But as the darkness rushed up to envelop her, all she felt was immense, profound peace. This story was written by Beck Stranger and narrated by Kay Weaver. Our Patreon is officially live, so for more stories that haunt and a behind-the-scenes look at what we do and why we do it, please join our Patreon at patreon slash pleaseleavepod. Please follow Please Leave on Facebook and Instagram at pleaseleavepod. Our email is pleaseleavepod at gmail.com, and our website is pleaseleavepod.com. 